Hi, everybody. This is Gary Yes. I'm from Coolidge, Arizona, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Uh, my favorite drug was more. It made me feel good. I just wanted a little bit more. And that's how I proceeded through life and, and uh, until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and even well after that, uh, that's not my first sobriety date, but this is the one I've managed to keep by the grace of God. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. We interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, today is July 7th, and I'm joined in the studio by Gary S. from Coolidge, Arizona. Gary, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here, Mike. Thanks for uh, asking me out here. I'm enjoying it. Fantastic. We get the show started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the Daily Reflection. Gary, do you have that handy? I have it right in front of me. All right. This is July 7th, and the title is In Letting Go a Bit. Primarily fear that we lose something we already possessed or would fail to get something we demanded. Living upon the basis of unsatisfied demands, we were in a state of continual disturbance and frustration. Therefore, no peace was to be had unless we could find a means of reducing these demands. The difference between a demand and a simple request is plain to everyone. This is from the 12 and 12, page 76. Peace is possible for me only when I let go of expectations. When I'm trapped in thoughts about what I want, and what should be coming to me, I'm in a state of fear or anxious anticipation, and this is not conducive to my emotional sobriety. I must surrender over and over to the reality of my dependence on God, for then I find peace, gratitude, and spiritual security. Well, thanks for reading that. Gary, uh, before we begin, can I ask your sobriety date? Sure, it is uh, 9-15-1988. Okay, great. You've got some years in the program. Yeah, a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So, so Gary, in looking at the at the reflection today, letting go of it, how does this uh, how does this land with you? Well, it lands today. It lands a lot softer when I first got here. I can say that much. Uh, when I first got here, I started drinking hard and fast at the age of fourteen, and uh, my life was one of incessant demands to make my needs and meet my needs. Uh, my favorite drug was more. You know, I always <laughs> wanted more. It made me feel good. I just wanted a little bit more, and that's how I proceeded through life and and uh, until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and even well after that, uh, that's not my first sobriety day, but this is the one I've managed to keep by the grace of God. But I, I, I also had incessant demands on others, expectations of others, uh, unreal expectations. Um, uh, I lived in a world of fantasy uh, uh, as far back as I can remember. Before I even took a drink, I can re- I, I, I just had a wonderful fantasy life between my my ears and uh, it, nothing seemed to fulfill 
what was going on in me until I had a drink. And once it seemed like once I had a drink of alcohol, things clicked for me. And what I found, and what I didn't realize it at the time, what I found was peace. Uh, because I always seemed to be embroiled in my head with some kind of conflict. And from that first drink, I found peace. And after that, you know, even after I stopped, when oblivion became my form of peace, that became acceptable. My drinking consisted of, you know, going from peace to acceptable to oblivion. And that's the funny thing about us alcoholics, at least I find in my case, I was always willing to accept a lowered standard of living to be able to continue to go the way I wanted to go. I was one of those classic people that always said, when it got that bad, or when I got that bad, I would slow down. I would I would slow down, not stop, mind you. That was not in my vocabulary, but I would definitely slow down. Uh, you know, I would start looking at this thing a little more seriously. Uh, but once I reached that that next level, I, I I found a greater level of acceptance because I needed to do what I needed to do. Correct. I remember living in a tent uh, down by the river. Well, and that was my home. And I was acceptable because to me, I called it my Chateau de Colmen by the river. Right. So it, it was perfectly acceptable to me to be living like that because I had a roof over my head as far as I was concerned. So I wasn't homeless technically. Of course, I was living on government property and hiding in the woods and in a tent with a bunch of other people. But I can remember coming back from a hard day of uh, uh, day labor and panhandling. I came to my campsite and I realized my tent was missing. And I think that was the first time that I ever felt truly, truly homeless. You know, I wasn't homeless as long as I had your couch or your shed or I could slip into your porch at night. So I came in here and I was I had a lot of expectations. As I got sober, I found out when I got sober, how immature I started drinking when I was 14, hard and fast, started getting in trouble right away. I never slowed down. I was never one of these. It really was a uh, I don't remember ever seeking social drinking. Uh, I, I never did. I, I, I was raised in this, uh, you know, I was in my teens in, my, in, the, in the late 60s, early 70s. So I had a whole mixture of things going on on top of my alcohol. And so I'd never, you know, it just nothing ever slowed down for me. And when I got to AA, when I, I was introduced to AA when I was 19 years old, it didn't take but I was introduced to AA when I was 19 years old. It was the first time in a long time I walked in. Well, it's it actually by a, a judge who uh, called me a nuisance to society. And uh, back in 1973, what they had in the small town I was in, Savannah, Ohio, where I lived at the time, they had members of AA sit in the back and look for guys like me. Uh, they didn't have court slips then. And what these guys did, they saw me a half a dozen times in 10 months. And they said, at first, they thought I was too young. I was 19. You know, I was hip slick and cool. I had hair way down halfway to my waist. And I had my own herbal business. So I had things going on. And I remember these guys coming up to me when I was about to be sentenced rather harshly uh, for the first time. I, I'm, I'm not a real master thief. And these guys came up to me and said, hey, you know, we'd like to introduce you to this program called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the judge sitting there going, it's either that or nine months. So my, you know, we alcoholics aren't real bright, but we're not stupid, right? <laughs> so of course I went with these gentlemen, and uh, as a result of that, I was introduced to a whole new way of life. It didn't take right away, mm. but I tell you what happened. For the first time, I was treated with kindness in a long time, and that stuck with me, kept mm -hmm. me coming back. 
you're saying it didn't stick the first time. Um, so what else had to happen in order for you to, to really dive in? Well, it, it became a series of woes. Now, I can say that that was the last time I appeared before that judge. That didn't stop the end of my woes. That didn't start the end of my troubles. In fact, it seemed to, you know, the funny thing about alcoholics, at least most I know, is once we're exposed to the solution, we can't erase it from our mind. And, you know, there's nothing like going out and, and trying to do some hardcore drinking. And you got voices like yours, for instance, in my head. Just doesn't, drinking has lost its its it lost its uh, allure, you know. I just, I just, I couldn't drink without the alcoholism yeah. dancing in the back of my head, tickling my brain at all times. Mm-hmm. My problem was for a long time, I always wanted to uh, feel better. I didn't want to do anything to get better. I was one of those classic guys. I'd sit at a meeting and, and the old timers would sit there and, and say to the new people, yeah, see, see that guy over there? Whatever he does, don't do that. Just don't do that. <laughs> I love the concept of AA ruining your drinking, though. Once you kind of get the concept that uh, you might be an alcoholic and there is a solution, makes it really difficult to go back out there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's endless heartbreak, and, mm. and which is what we do anyway. We're heartbreakers. We break everybody we come in. We break their hearts. Whoever we come in contact, we break their hearts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the Daily Reflection talks about um, an endless state of of um, expectations and demands and and fear that we're going to lose something that we think we have or or not get something we think we deserve. You know, this can be confusing for folks because, you know, it's not I believe it's not bad for people to desire things. Right. So tell me how you decipher the difference between unrealistic demands and and demands that that we should have. Well, for me, it usually reflects in the people I'm dealing with. Whenever my wife sits down and she'll look at me and she says, we need to have a talk about something. I really, perhaps I've been putting some uh, unrealistic expectations and demands upon my, my, my household. You know, when I first sobered up, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know how to be sober. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how, you know. I mean, people told me for years to quit drinking, but they didn't understand quitting drinking was a real problem for me. Uh, not drinking was the problem. Drinking, all that and all that went with it, I could accept that. But not drinking was that was unacceptable. I just I couldn't stand it. Mm. And learning how to uh, grow up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that came with the help of others is to understand what those expectations and what the demands were that I were making. I had to learn that from others. I had to be taught that by others uh, because I, I didn't know. I just didn't know. And as, as time went on and I, and I worked through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out that uh, as, as I worked through the steps and, and I, I gathered those people around me, you know, you start having that cadre of people. I have a whole lot of friends and acquaintances in AA, a lot of them. But I found I have that five to six friends that, you know, I have taken to the grave stuff with, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is stuff I can talk to them about anything. And once I opened my heart to these guys and they became part of my life and, and a couple of the ladies in the rooms also, once once they became part of my lives, I'll tell you what, there's not a whole lot of secrets I can hide because they know it right away when Gary's off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just recently, having gone through this move and everything, for instance, a couple of guys called me out. They said, you're off, man. I mean, you know, you're you're telling us everything's good. But your voice doesn't, your voice is blind. So what's really mm. going on? You know, mm. I go to meetings and for me, it's, 
it's sharing in meetings, listening, listening to others share, but how do you think that happens where you really form those bonds, those connections with others? Before and after. I found out I had a sponsor who took me to, to, to meetings early. And then, because I didn't have a car, he kept me there late. So, and then he'd say, okay, we're going to go to eat. And I go, John, I'm not hungry. He said, that, I, that's irrelevant to what we're doing. <laughs> you know? And the only reason I, I said I wasn't hungry was because uh, I didn't have any money. You know, mm-hmm. I had no cash. I had no, you know, I was still uh, living from day to day. I was uh, close to being evicted once again, which was standard procedure for me. Uh, and so these guys would take me and we'd sit there and, and, and I'd, I'd be a listener. I just mm-hmm. listen and I'd watch and listen because I'm, we put a lot of focus on the promises sometimes uh, that we read a lot at meetings out of, uh, you know, uh, how it works and, and, or uh, into action. We, we put a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on that, but I'm a liar, cheat and a thief. And when you say promises to me, the only thing I know is broken promises. So I watched these guys. I heard what they said at the meetings. And then I started watching what they did afterwards. And out of that became some bonds. And through my sponsor and people that he knew, I started in getting introduced to guys my age. Mm-hmm. And those friendships started to form. And the cool thing is the guys, the three guys that got me sober when I wandered back in the rooms of AA, they're still sober. And mm-hmm. they, they took me along for the ride. You know, yeah, they took me along for the ride. And they're still doing the same thing. Taught oh, me to do what they did. That's awesome. I love that. And, you know, when I first came in, I, um, there's not many people that, you know, I looked around the room and, and I thought to myself, I want to be friends with these people. I was kind of, kind of angry at the time. And, um, but what happens is over time you soften and, and you become a little bit more desperate for a, for a solution that works. And pretty soon you find yourself, like you said, going to dinner with these folks and, uh, forming these partnerships and bonds. It's a beautiful thing. So tell me a little bit about your concept of a higher power. How does that work for you? Well, that's been an evolving thing over a period of time. I was raised in a highly, uh, I would say, religious and restrictive family. And uh, once I, you know, I was one of those guys that sat in church with my family, right? I got seven brothers and sisters, me being the oldest. And I was the anchor on the end. So my parents would be here. I'd be on the far other end, all my little brothers and sisters. My job was to keep them quiet. But what I remember most about church is looking around while everybody was praying. And I'm going, I'm not getting it. Whatever they're getting, I'm not getting it. And I sat there, and, 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 once I, and everything I heard was basically based on that. It's like I heard things that weren't being said. Same thing when I first got sponsored. I was hearing a lot of things that weren't being said. And uh, what evolved over time, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, it took me a little bit of time. It isn't like I didn't believe it, God, because you can't hate somebody you you don't believe in. Mm. And I hated God. You Mm -hmm. know, I had an incredible resentment. I had incredible anger towards any kind of kind. I was an equal opportunity mocker of religion and faith. Now, the only time I wouldn't mock religion and faith is if I was panhandling out of a church parking lot. On mm-hmm. a Sunday morning to score some drinks, then I could become very, very faithful, you know. But you know, I, I didn't have any for myself. But you know, what happened is it developed over a period of time. You know, uh, I remember reading the fifth step where it talks about where I'd be able to, you know, be alone with myself with perfect, perfect peace and ease, 
that was a promise I wanted. That was a promise I desired because I couldn't stand myself. I couldn't stand the thoughts that ran through my head. I couldn't stand the way I felt. I couldn't stand. It, it just gave me the heebie-jeebies to be by myself. And to have the idea that I would be alone at perfect peace, peace and ease, that was quite a promise to a guy like me. Because I've been looking for peace for a long time, remember. I started drinking, getting peace, and I sought oblivion towards the end. And to find, refine that peace without those resultant actions that I always got when I was drinking was pretty dark and compelling and appealing. It, talked about, it talks about walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, and that became my first form of a higher power. I thought, I can walk with the spirit of the universe. I can't walk with a lot of the concepts I've heard. It evolved. It's evolved. It's ever-changing. It's ever-changing because there's been some wonderful things happen. So there's been horribly tragic things happen since I've been so raw. So the fact is I haven't found it necessary to take a drink. I know that is born out of having a faith in God, good or bad. I've never been mad at God. And that's a blessing. That's mm -hmm. a blessing. And that comes yeah. from y'all, not from me. Mm -hmm. So do you ever think of a drink? Sometimes. Yeah, I don't sit there and think, oh, I, you know, I, I sit there and go when 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 uh, when my son died, I have, my son was sober a few days short of four years sober and he died abruptly of a heart attack. I sat there and I went, I thought I could use a drink. And it went away about that quick, you know, mm -hmm. because I know it's never a drink for me. It never has been. It never will be. I'm not under any illusion. But that's where my mind first took me is I could just use a drink. The one thing that was very telling for me is within two minutes of that, my sponsor beat my wife to the door. Mm -hmm. When Once I made the phone calls that I found my son and I made the call to the police. And then I called my spot, my wife, and my sponsor. He was there two minutes before her. And I said, I said, you know, I could, now, the first thing I thought was could use a drink. And he says, I might to think that too, Gary. He says, that's all right. The fact is, you know, it's not necessary. And you know where it leads you. And he was mm -hmm. absolutely correct. You know, I never thought of a drink since then as far as, a, you know, a serious consideration. Mm -hmm. Even then, it wasn't a serious consideration. It was just like you just could use a drink. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to recognize that that's a difficult thing to share. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry for your loss. We typically ask folks for advice. You know, there's probably somebody listening to this that might be on the fence about the program. Maybe they're um, dipping their toe in the water. What advice might you give someone in that in that position? Well, I usually tell people, you know, I usually like to talk about it at meetings a little bit, especially if I'm speaking and saying, you know, stick around for 20 years, see if it works for you. And if, <laughs> if it doesn't, you know, go back to whatever you're doing. But one of the, the, the big things I do tell people is, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you're not finding what you need here, please try something else because I don't want anybody to die of alcoholism. But give us a shot since you're here. See if it will work for you. Follow the suggestions. See if it's something that'll work for you. If it doesn't, there's a lot, lot of other programs you could check out. Uh, but try us out. And, and mm. if, we, if we don't think it's going to work for you, try something else. If that don't work, we're still going to be here. And we're still going to welcome you. And we're still going to welcome you with open arms. Um, mm. Because that's what AA did to me for, a long, for about seven years. Of me going in and out, in and out, in and out. Being mm. actually thrown out of AA meetings. 
they were nice about it though. They said, "Yo, keep coming back, you know, just not here tonight, right?" But uh <laughs> but you know, and that's and that's that's the best thing is, is is check us out. Give us give it an honest honest chance. What do you got to lose? You're not here from drinking milk. You're not here from having a few beers and stubbing your toe going, "Gee, I need to go to AA." You're here in some kind of duration due to your alcoholism, you know, due to your alcohol drinking. Yeah. Give us a shot. Do you sponsor men? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, right now it, uh, it's, uh, I'm in that weird spot. I haven't not sponsored anybody for an active sponsored somebody for a long time, but having moved and just getting established in a new area, um, I haven't had any new guys yet. Uh, and all the guys I had in, in Frederick, Maryland, where I moved from, you know, I, I helped them get other sponsors, suggest they get other sponsors. And I still talk to them and some of them have long-term sobriety. They're, they're more friends and, you know, but sponsor, sponsor, we kind of sponsored each other over the years as years gone by. But uh, yes, I do. And I'm looking forward. In fact, I'm just kind of, I'm like this now I'm going, okay, I'm, I got that. It's, it's time. I need to meet some, some people and, uh, you know, get my hands dirty, so to speak. So yeah. yes, I do. And I, and I love it. Yeah. And we're coming out of the pandemic and uh, meetings are coming back online in person. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, do, uh, do you go to in-person meetings? Just started to. Uh, okay. I came to Texas. A good friend of mine uh, moved from Frederick, Maryland to Texas in San Antonio. And uh, he invited me out and I said, it's time. Yeah. It's time. My, I did some, just before the pandemic, I was in Australia and uh, they were restrictive and wearing masks because of the fires there. And I was in a fire zone and I was there for three months. I came back within two weeks. I was wearing masks at home. Uh, so I hit a few live meetings in Australia and I'm just starting to hit them again. So it's been over a year since I started, I've been uh, doing a live meeting. It's kind of odd going back without a mask, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's starting to become a bit more normal for me now. Now there's one or two meetings I go to in person, but, uh, it's good to, good to make that connection in person for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts you want to share with the audience before we wrap? No, just like the same thing I said. If you're new and you're and you're just starting to come around and you're curious, stick around, ask questions, find some people either online when you go to a meeting or at an AA meeting. You know, find someone who says something that kind of clicks with you and go up and ask them some questions. Mm-hmm. You know, take some time. And you know, if if you, if you, like I said, you're not here by mistake. Nobody gets to AA because they're having a good day. Mm-hmm. You know that I've met anyway. Uh, stick around and try to find someone to talk to. Fantastic. That's great advice. Gary, thanks so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been a great conversation. Mike, thank you so much for having me, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.